All of us believe something about the end of the world. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. Eschatology means the study of the end times. I'm really getting nervous here about what are we going to do? We, we, I'm useless. I know how to use a spreadsheet. We dismiss it as someone else's business. He's talking about the tribulation period. All hell is going to break loose on earth. In other words, no matter how bad things are right now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And this podcast is all about eschatology and what people really believe about the end of the world. And I'll be joined by my great friend, Pete Milner, who is a master of theology, a great student of history, and just a great thinker and all-round good egg. So join me in this exciting adventure. So hi, everyone, and welcome to a new exciting episode in the podcast series, Eschatology. And once again, I'm joined by my dear friend, Pete Milner. Hi, everybody. And last session we looked at the global jihadist movement and their eschatological beliefs that underpin their kind of thinking, their behaviour and their impact on the world stage. And today we're going to jump right out of the religious category and into what has become a hugely mainstream um, eschatological system of belief which is the climate change and sort of global warming and global things. warming issue yeah so, so we're not really going to be talking much about jerusalem or the old testament or things of that sort in this session are we but not particularly what i'm expecting we will find is that there are a marked number of interesting parallels between the average person who kind of thinks and has end times beliefs about climate change and say the Christian or the jihadi who who believes similar things so yeah. I think the recipe will still hold up yes so if you remember the ingredients for our recipe for arriving at an eschatological belief system uh, had certain key ingredients one being an existential threat yep and that we're talking about global climate change, yep. really, aren't we? Are we talking about extinction events? Yeah, mass extinction events. Yeah. Um, a significant moral decline or a change in society. And I think actually yeah, that's it's there, very it? difficult to unhook mm. from the moral imperative that yes. the climate change lobby presents us with. Yeah. And that's if you don't do these things... You, you are morally are, destitute. You are absolutely beyond excuse. Yes. And you're you're basically destroying the future of your children yes. and their children and so on for having a, mm. to have a life on the earth. And I think it's probably worth picking up that thread and just following it back through history a little bit because what what a what a person who joins the Extinction Rebellion or a Greta Thunberg protest rally or something like that what somebody like that will be saying about, let's say, Western-based modern culture is that it was a great project to advance technologically, which came at too high a yeah. cost. Yeah. And now we realise that to keep doing it is to be morally deficient. Yes. And so the people who still build 
coal power plants and factories yeah. and, and harvest the Amazon and dig the mines. Those people should now realise that this whole thing was doomed from the start yeah. and they must enact radical change quickly and that's where the moral judgment is. It's a and, massively judgmental. And so um, we'll come on to it in a bit more sure. detail, but I've got some really interesting little things that have just come to my attention okay. in the last few weeks, which are just interesting, quite amazing. And what we tend to do with an eschatology is we view all the current events in As the light of our paradigm that we're viewing things by and we see them all as confirming our theories and suspicions yes. about the end yeah. of life as we know it. Um, th we said that eschatologies often have a sacred text or literature, mm. or uh, authoritative literature to back them up. Sure, and for and the Islamist and the Christian that's very obvious, yes. but what would you say that pertain to when you're talking about um, climate change? I would say it has to be in the realm of the scientific data. Okay, yeah. And of course, so whilst the true believers in the Bible and the Quran and everything would say that the the scriptures don't lie. Yeah. I've the heard politicians lie, yeah, repeating that statement many, many times over. The science doesn't lie. Mm. Politicians, environmentalists, mm. lobbyists... They all say the same thing. The science doesn't lie. And it's become a mantra. Mm -hmm. So science, which is our interpretation of um, physical phenomena things that yeah. we see going on based on data, based on experiments, based Testing, on repeatable things. Hypotheses, yep. It's a great thing. Science is fabulous. And it is... Uh, profound gift to mm. the human race isn't it indeed and let's applaud it but it's become like a religious a sacred text to us now and so if a scientist says it the science doesn't lie it, yeah I, I i definitely get that to do with this issue i think that there is a really straightforward way in which that's rooted in a perfectly plausible reality, which yeah. is that if you stick a thermometer in the sea and it reads it's a degree warmer this year than sure. last year, then that is straightforward, isn't it? But it, it has to do, doesn't it, with the narrative that's then on top of that, yeah. which is based more on what you talk about, that kind of condensing where everything is to do with this and yeah. everything is yeah. irrefutably so. And and, and the, the, the way scriptural texts of any holy book mm. implies a moral aspect to yeah. pretty much everything yeah the same is done with the science yes. so we take the science and then we extrapolate and say therefore it's mm. immoral to carry on doing yeah. this how can i now eat meat wrapped in plastic yeah. now that i know the sea is that many degrees warmer and yeah. going to get warmer I, I cannot possibly and neither can anyone else or should anyone else sure Right. So we would say as well that there are prophets, experts and sandwich board guys okay, who yeah. kind of project that thing down at the sort of grassroots level yeah, where people yeah. are. And I think we it it's probably unkind in a way, but it's kind of an observation mm -hmm. that Greta Thunberg has been the weeping prophet. So the, sure. the Bible has a weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Greta Thunberg young girl mm -hmm. should be doing her studies instead of that she's out leading big 
you know, from her, this is her yeah, comments, yeah. I should be at school, but here I am now having to do this because nobody aren't. else has done yeah. it. You great so, politicians are morally deficient in So whilst response. I would imagine she's probably pretty clued up now scientifically. I'm sure, yeah. As she's, she's a lot older than when she people. started, yeah, for sure. But she kind of was gripped by almost a calling mm. to raise this issue, to bring it to the attention of global elites and powers and stuff and what she's done is very very typical of the old testament prophets who come in dressed in ordinary clothes Mm -hmm. like um they cry out elijah the tishbite yeah comes in and confronts king ahab and he says this is because of you yes you have done this this drought on the land is because of you yeah well she's saying the same thing yeah this drought on the land it's or because whatever. of industry it's because <coughs> of global trade it's because greed. of politicians being greedy yeah. and using gdp instead of planet sort of effects yeah we've sure. got experts aplenty on mm-hmm. this one and yeah. you know we're not going to argue with them who's going to argue with david attenborough well, i'm not <laughs> do you know what i mean he's a, he's considered to be a national treasure absolutely and we love him he does phenomenal mm. animal programs yeah. but now I watch them all yeah and yeah. There he is. He's our favourite expert. And yeah. He's saying this is this is happening and yeah. this is for well, real. When you can see the walruses falling in the sea or the desert expanding yeah. or the kind of, date, uh, what is it, the oil palm forests in Indonesia oh. replacing these tracts of jungle, yeah. which he himself has videoed himself in, yeah. that is really persuasive, isn't it? I mean, it's part of a, a, a claim on knowledge and science that... That is that it does show irrefutably the facts, yeah. and those facts are definitely true, aren't yeah. they? That yeah. they did chop that forest down. They did. That is no longer there. Yeah. yeah, we do know what carbon dioxide does when you put it in the atmosphere, and you do know that we are producing more of it. So, yeah. the the strength of it is very strong, isn't it? But yeah, and I would say if we just finish our little analogy there with the sandwich board guys, mm. and say probably every every school kid. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly most school kids, from, yeah, would be very. My little grandson is two. Mm-hmm. He's an expert on bins. He knows what every coloured bin is for. Yeah. He knows what's general waste, what's recycling, what's glass. Mm. And he's two years old, but he he fully understands. He grew up knowing that we need to sort our garbage yeah. because it's a huge global problem. Exactly. Well, I mean. Good. <laughs> I remember being a little Absolutely. kid and going on holiday to Germany and Holland and finding there were three bins instead of one. And when I was a kid, which wasn't that long ago, despite It wasn't my long hair, ago at all, Pete. No, well, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, in the late 90s, when that sort of thing happened, Germany and Holland and other countries were already ahead of us on that yeah. one. We just put all our bin out, bin stuff out in bin bags. Although we did take our glass bottles down to a bottle bank. Really? Yes. And um, yeah, but the idea that each household would sort and and file its own waste and as as a conscientious effort to do something yeah. about it, yeah, is is fairly new for the United Kingdom compared with lots of Western Europe. Yeah. So what's happened really as a result of all of these things, and. I'm sure the activists and um, environmental kind of campaigners would mm-hmm. see this is actually progress. That sure. the language of climate change has now become universal and is is kind of in every home. So we we're not surprised to hear people developers talking about net zero. No, nope. 
or <laughs> politicians talking about net zero. We're not um, surprised to hear people using the expression environmental impact. Yep. Um, zero growth. Or the anti-growth coalition yes. in recent history. Yeah. Well, there they are. Mass extinction events. Yep. Extreme weather events. Yeah. All of these things have now become part of our normal vocabulary. Yeah. And if we switched the news on and there was nothing to do with that on there, we would be surprised, wouldn't we? Yeah. We'd be like, wow, that was an interesting yeah. news day because they didn't have time to talk about that. There must have been something very big happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and so in summary then, the message is that we've pretty much destroyed the world. Yeah. Possibly um, irreparably, but yeah. maybe there's a chance but. if we all work together, <laughs> yeah. it could if be turned If we spend back. all the extra money, mm-hmm. and do all the right things, we might just be able to s- save the planet. Yeah. And so it's a very strong moral argument, and I do think there is a huge pile of guilt language that comes with it, and which kind of, once we moralise something like this, it does start to sound a bit like a religion. Well, I think that's fair. Although, I mean, atheism, humanism, environmentalism, they're not religions in the easily recognisable way that Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism are. Because a lot of people's definition would involve something like um, a non-rational faith commitment to something which cannot be proven. Yeah. Whereas the in, uh, the thing is that the Christian would always say, well, it can be proven and it's proven in my life. Yes. And it's proven and in look history. Look at all the other believers around the world. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the thing that makes it different is that, um, you know, a, a, an environmental lobbyist would be saying, look at this thermometer. Yeah. It is a thermometer. It reads the temperature. It's telling you yes. the truth about the last 100 years of oceanic temperature rises. And that's not a religion. No. But the, the yeah, but the, the religious language that is used to um, bring forth the moral argument that's, and to publicise yeah. the movement and to kind of condense the, the flow of images to sort of follow those narratives. And yeah. that, that, is, that does have a lot in common with, with religions and, and religious language doing exactly that. Yes, and I think it's probably consciously borrowed on occasions as well because it does kind of press certain buttons for us doesn't it but so what we're not saying then is the climate change activists have created a religion but they they have shared some of religions kind of methodologies and kind of script yeah and that let's be straightforward it does work doesn't it i mean the 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 way that using um, certain narratives and certain things to impact how people talk about it is is colossal and people have changed the way they've spoken about this kind of thing in my lifetime you know global warming and and things like that when when i was born in the 80s was probably would be fair to say the the kind of preserve of of only very out there hippie types in the main in this country it was considered to be of marginal interest wasn't it sure yeah and maybe it's getting warmer but in britain yeah we could do with a few degrees yeah oh oh, no more sunshine (laughs) and 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 i think that looking globally now i mean trying to evaluate the impact of this eschatology this this idea of impending doom that's coming via um, climate climactic weather event or whatever 
I think it's fair to say that internationally the consensus is already there. I think things like yeah. the Paris Climate Accord, it's like you you really can't wriggle out of the um, sense that this, this is now very, very important and pretty much everyone agrees. However, there are notable protesters against it. I mean, I've seen in very recent history, America, China, India, Australia, big, important countries in this century, um, co collectively sort of opting out of any such uh, um, admonition and any such yeah. feeling that we need to change our behaviour to do anything about this. I mean, the people who say the observed temperature rises are a natural phenomena you know we had an ice age and then the ice age is gone and you know the world's temperature shifts and that's not a big deal i i think that's still out there in a lot of places yes. and if you're sort of listening to certain people and your flow of images is affected by certain people then that's that's where you'll stand too and again we do have this sort of echo chamber kind of thing going on and when you add in the element of guilt mm. guilt activates our sort of conscience doesn't it and yes. so we feel that we should be doing more or we shouldn't be doing this or we should be doing that yes and it kind of gets the compliance to start to happen doesn't it, it is interesting isn't it because there's there's a couple of ways that i find that manifests in people so one is very much, I am now personally responsible yeah. for my impact on the environment yes. and my use of plastic, my use of um, meat and my use of money need to change in order to join this collective effort. But I think there is a, another angle, which I mean, I think someone like Greta Thunberg would, would, would perhaps be representative of, which is to say, if I turn off that red dot on my TV, that is not going to do it. But if I'm an oil company or a government or a captain of industry with 20,000 employees, I can do something about it. And yeah. the painful, difficult thing is that I could make many changes, but if the big things don't change, it won't make much difference. And I think particularly the really funny um, thing somebody put on Twitter, and his name's Andrew Henderson, he, he sort of was made famous from this, from internet history. And um, BP, the oil company, yeah. um, put up this great um this great uh, virtue signal where oh, they were trying to sort of join in with the narrative a bit and they said the first step to reducing your emissions is to know where you stand find out your carbon footprint with our new calculator and share your pledge today so this oh, was somebody working yeah. at the social marketing division of bp kind of trying to encourage people to work out what your personal environmental impact is and reduce it and like make a promise or yeah. a pledge it sounds a bit like a religious commitment does. doesn't it, it really to does. say i will use less plastic yeah. i will something or other and uh, andrew henderson's reply was i pledge not to spill 4.9 million barrels of oil into the gulf of mexico <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> He's like, it's all very well for you to join the narrative yeah. and be with the yeah. common people, but I personally haven't spilt five Indeed. million barrels of oil in the environment, and I didn't build an oil refinery in India, and I didn't, you know, it's it's, it's oh my goodness, very rich. And BP have just um, slunk into the background. On yeah, that one. but now they've just um, published their profits for the past year, and Shell as well, and they're up in the billions, 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 thirty-five like, billion or something like that. Lie. Who would imagine that high oil prices would lead to high profits for oil companies? I yeah. can't imagine. <laughs>
<laughs> but the, I, I'm really glad you spoke about virtue signaling, Pete, mm. because I, I think that that is something that is characteristic of religions. Yep. Yeah, that's and true. you have the people who can be the best Catholic or who can be the best Pharisee Jew or the Pharisee or the Christian yeah. or the best evangelist or the best... Um, you know, yeah. I, I'm keeping up my I'm giving side up of the bar. I'm great deal in yes. order to... Yes. Like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, oh, we fast twice a week, you know, mm-hmm. we tithe our herbs. We, and he you know, says to them, cutting yeah. the, you do these things to be observed by others. Yeah. But your heart's and still Jesus full of it. is ruthless mm. on his commentary on virtue signaling, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, and he says, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's I, what he calls them. I'm going to be honest, I do find that very difficult about the society that we live in That's true. currently with virtue signaling about just about everything mm-hmm. every new thing that we're supposed to, to be on the right a, side of yes you like, can't be seen to be pro this or anti that or so we have to say something about black lives matter mm-hmm. we have to say something about the lgbtq plus community thing yep we have to say something about global warming and all these big companies who really their priority is making a profit for the shareholders of course and doing what they do and paying all their staff, obviously, yes. everything and, else. And if they are seen to be au fait with enough zeitgeist, then we will permit them to carry on perpetrating environmental catastrophe. I mean, Man. that is that is the yeah. sign that something is wrong in this picture, isn't it, for sure? Yeah. So if BP will put up a rainbow flag or a fist flag or a um, you know cli- Extinction Rebellion sign on their Twitter handle, we'll forgive them for it all. Yeah. And that can't be right, can it? No, it cannot. And and so, along with the religious thing of guilt, the the deployment of guilt to change people's behaviour, we also have the sort of rank hypocrisy of virtue signalling and all Mm. of that stuff going on, which, again, we've seen tragically in even our own... Christian circles, you know, we see that kind sure. of stuff, don't we? we? We perpetrate it ourselves, let's yeah. be honest. We let's do this let's not pretend. So, um, but I, I heard something that really disturbed me the other day, Pete. It was a BBC population correspondent talking to John Simpson All right. on a thing on Saturday somewhere or other, and they were talking. It was the news unspun, I think, was the strap line of the right. show. And, um, and she was commenting about the impact of population on the environment. Yeah. So the human population. Yes. And she, her comments were along the lines of kind of endorsing, tantamount to endorsing China's one-child policy. Right. As it it, it was... As an ethical... It, it worked. Thing. She sure. said it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of reduced population. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. But it was grossly inhuman, yes, and has left so many demographic issues. And what about the conscience and the hearts of the parents who aborted female fetuses because they wanted sons? Yeah. What about the neighbouring countries where orphanage crisis, and population travel, displaced Chinese people? people kidnapping brides for their sons yeah. and all this whole thing. Yes. The The worst thing uh, about that whole question is that if you look at the China in its geographic neighbourhood, 
I mean, in the 1950s and 60s, China, what we call Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, were all very much in a sort of similar plight. And the world's biggest problem was probably the poverty in Asia, at least in terms of, of that kind of question. And the um, investment and westernization and liberalization of, of certain economies meant that Japan, followed by you know Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea, boomed. And China didn't. And the communism that was at work there was, was devastating. I mean, Mao's oh Great Leap Forward yeah. it was catastrophe humanitarianly. Yeah. And if you look at the birth rate of those countries from that point up until today, you'll see that South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, Singapore, they have decreasing birth rates that go even faster than China's at the one-child policy. And what actually reduces the global population or the population growth is prosperity. And education. Yeah. If you yeah. educate women and, and make yeah. your society prosperous, your birth rate will go down give, and people will want it to. Give them access to... But if you slaughter their children, oh then you're just going to have a big problem. And... I think that is the thing that I hate to hear, that, that yes. somehow we all owe it to the world to have less children. I think and you can see what how to have less children, and it's to make your society just, and make women equal in the workplace, and yeah. to give people a shot at making a life for themselves through enterprise and hard work. And if you do that, then your birth rate will go down. So and what we what we what we have yeah. is Again, it's very religious language, sure. but we have this idea of having to make sacrifices yeah, yeah. for the greater good, That's so right, for the yeah. cause. And, you know, it's it's a powerful argument. And I think what, what scares me is the way statements like that slide mm. under the radar and no one seems to pick it up. I did send a tweet back to right. BBC, but I didn't get a reply, but no I didn't expect one particularly. Sure. The thing is, it is it is nasty, isn't it? There's an edge to yeah. it. I mean, some of the people on the left, for instance, at the moment would talk about eat the rich, bring the guillotines yeah. back in. And for them, the solution is ever so simple. It's just about killing the right people and doing away with them so that we, the people, can overcome them stuff. and have the proper stuff and do a good job, unlike they did. And they're unable to recognise that actually to start all the bloodletting and the killing and the genocide against a certain demographic group, i.e. in this case the rich people, that they'd be, be becoming the very thing they hate the most. And conveniently forgetting what happened in Russia, oh Eastern Europe, goodness. China. Yeah, we'll kill the rich people, take all their stuff. Wait a minute, why is our country poor? Yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it aside. And why can't I sleep at night? Is because any minute now they might come for me. Yes, that's yeah. right. Because at the moment nobody's mad at me, but actually somebody but, might be eventually. And we're well now established yes. in slaughter groups that run through and kill everybody. So, oh my life. Anyway. So, all that's to say that probably the average person who feels conscientiously about doing something about climate change in terms of reducing plastic consumption and waste and such is not thinking primarily in terms of gassing people no, or no, you know, killing off people. Unfair conclusion <laughs> to reach. But them. it is worth reminding ourselves about this this idea that it is the eschaton, the, the last thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, even at quite a mild level of engagement with this idea, would be happy with the idea that if we don't do something very soon, yeah. this is an unavoidably catastrophic yeah. global challenge that we will utterly fail to meet and yes. then what will be left of humanity is that same remnant that same surviving group of of people and many of the 
best of us will, will perish and some of the worst of us will survive. And the level of, of surety varies from person to person. But the expectation is that, yeah, within my lifetime, this will be unavoidably dramatically realised. Yeah. So I think what where I, I suppose my thinking goes is we have, as... Bible believing Christians, we have an injunction mm. to look after the world and look after the environment. That's yeah. that's biblical and sound. Sure. Look after our animals, mm. take care of husband the world, the yeah. either the environment and make it fruitful. Yeah. And but also to be fruitful. And I suppose the um the issue for me is where this which is a very clear responsibility which I don't want to sh- try and shrug off mm. and leave it to somebody else to think about it but where that then becomes a moral pressure or even an institutionalized government pressure mm. to to, to make to me behave in such a way that actually violates other aspects of other sacred commands yeah. other irrefutable parts of humanity yeah, yeah. yeah and I think there wouldn't only be Christians that are upset about that or concerned that this level of vitriol actually will grow arms and legs yeah. and start running around and being in charge and I think there was a statement made by a pro-abortion um, lady talking about um, post-birth abortions mm-hmm so can you it's already get upon the us. double speak yes. going on there post-birth abortions post-birth means, abortions means yeah. killing a baby After that's been, been born. born yeah so she was saying we have to make some sacrifices to make progress I'm shaking my head and not saying anything but I hope the listener can appreciate the gravity of which we speak about these things so and, and I think the the fact that those things are being said by intelligent, educated, yeah. Western liberal mm. thinkers, you know, you kind of think, hold on a minute, yeah. where somebody must be seeing this. Look at this, yeah. yeah. And, and it is not the preserve of only Christians. I mean, there are lots of people who, from no faith, object to abortion, for instance, in yeah. its very practice. And I think that it begins before that for me. To me... I am always deeply suspicious of any scheme that goes along with the idea that there are somehow spare people oh, and surplus gosh. people. And yeah. it's it's the language of Hitler and fascism yeah. in, in the sort of last hundred years. But it's also been the language of some of the talk about homelessness, some of the uh, talk about disabilities and yeah. people, poverty spare people who aren't needed and it'd be better for all of us if they were all culled off and, and got rid of i cannot bear it paul i, I really can't and yeah. to 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 find it in the church to me is always an abhorrence oh, gosh. but yeah. to find it in the world at large i suppose to one degree i shouldn't be surprised because it's kind of always been part of human thinking however i always am I, I must I be. always am shocked and horrified Can't let it go. that yeah. thinking is out there. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is that exponential population growth is held in check by a few forces. And one of the things that is at work is the pro-abortion idea is, yeah, yeah get rid of surplus children who yeah. are not needed and not yep. wanted. And I can't join in with it. No, absolutely. But I can't also quite sort of find the thread of of where i do stand i think it's iceland that now has 
virtually no Down surviving syndrome. Down syndrome yeah. kids. Because anyone who's found with Down syndrome yeah. is, is life has ended in the womb. Yeah, that's true. And um, I think it's interesting. I mean, I I listen to a lot of things left behind by a guy called Hans Rosling. He's one of okay. my favourite people to talk about global demographics, global like people and and life and things. And he says that. One of the mistaken beliefs that people have in their utopian vision for things is that once upon a time, people just walked around having happy lives yes. in a pre-industrial yeah. world. And, you know, we just it's ate like peaches and myth. hung out on beaches yeah. and stuff. And he says, actually, if you want to see a population and how it grows, historically, the average amount of live births for a woman of childbearing age is something like six so uh, if the average woman has six live births um, and all of them survive then the population will triple every generation and yeah. for the last 200 years or so that's what we've seen you know that i mean your grandparents for instance would have had family sizes that were large i would guess five five six yeah. totally normal because all the children survive because we have medicine now and they all do before that, there was no modern one medicine. <laughs> one died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before there was modern medicine, the average family saw two children grow up to have their own children, yeah, right. but all the others would have died. died yeah, right. And actually, there was no equilibrium. There was no point where humans just lived in, in sync with nature. They died in sync with yeah, nature. Yeah. You know, six live births, four dying was normal. Yeah. And now that all children survive, the question is, I mean, what are we going to do? And, yeah. you know, to me, it's it's a difficult question, but it's worth remembering that what we're aspiring to, the world that we want to live in, cannot possibly keep doubling in population every no. 25 years, no. which it has been for the last 150. So... Yeah. But as we've as we've seen, the way the way population controls itself mm. without drastic measures is education and contraception. Yeah, and yeah. a better lifestyle. Yes. Um, so, but it's interesting, isn't it? So, mm. going back to our <clears throat> original thought about the the climate change <clears throat> um, image picture of the world. Yeah. Um, and eschatology, there is a hope. Yeah. So the hope is that if, if big governments, big business, and act all of us now in a timely manner, and the individuals get on and do their mm -hmm. part, we can keep the world to two degrees, or we can keep yeah. it to three degrees, or we can hold back the floodgates to to yeah. stop it from all going. So there is a somewhat utopian view of the future. Yeah. That assumes things will remain constant. Mm. from that point on when we when we've taken the corrective measures and it's all started to work and sure and we're all using renewable fuels and we're kind of yeah. lessening our waste impact on the world yeah and i think it it is interesting because this is the story of our lives too isn't yeah. it it's the story yeah. of of what we were and what we are becoming and as a christian when you sort of speak and think about this issue i mean we'll have people in our church won't we who couldn't care less about all of this and think Greta Thunberg's a bit of a nut. And there's other people who would think, oh, goodness me, you know, the totally in hand in glove, you know, feet yeah. in step with the Extinction Rebellion and the people ready to protest about it. And for one, 
I, I am very comforted by um, the feeling that... Um, <laughs> what am I comforted by? I think I'm, I, it, it helps me that people are having the discussion in a live way without yeah. making enemies of each other. Yeah. Because That's... the thing that these eschatologies can do is turn enemies into each other and it all goes yeah. back to people being lined people. up and shot and, and I can't bear it. You're it in, you're that. out, yeah. 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 It's interesting just to sort of wrap up the thought and give us a bit of a setup for the mm. next series that the next episode rather, and that is this um utopian view mm. <clears throat> can start to look almost within reach. Yeah. Until the you next. have someone like Mr. Putin. Sure, or Mr. Trump. Decide he's... Well, yes, Trump and Putin are obviously enemies of this vision. But sure. Putin has kind of moved to pole position, I think, lately, with invading Ukraine. Because yeah. suddenly, what's happening in Ukraine, um, everyone's trying to keep warm. Yeah. So they're using petrol generators. Yeah. Which just churn out... Chunking out. <laughs> they do not have catalytic converters on no. the whole... And so there they are, burning, burning out stuff. Yep, firewood. Um, over here, we're mm. not using Russian gas anymore, no. so we're importing great shiploads of LPG, from which the US is yeah. five times more greenhouse damaging yeah. when you bring it back up to the temp because it's frozen at yeah, minus yeah. thirty or something. You bring it back up to usable temperature, it yeah. creates. Plus, yeah. you've shipped it here on a 250,000-ton ship, which uses its own diesel engines to get yes. there. Yeah. So we're, what happens then <clears throat> is some bad person arises and breaks all the rules because they don't actually care about them. Mm. And this, this novelty, this idea of a, a rules-based society around yeah. the world. A it, it, Francis Fukuyama again, isn't it? The idea that we were all global and educated and we can all make yeah. these decisions together is suddenly upended. And then suddenly you've got people from Greenpeace and the Extinction Rebellion glad that we're sending hundreds of thousands of environmentally catastrophic gunpowder shells to Ukraine because yes. it's suitable for another goal and have. I've been there and yeah. seen the state of the cities that have been destroyed there are, there are whole towns levelled yeah with no roofs on the houses completely no no population left mm. the trees all shot to bits because of all the exchange of shells and stuff and yeah. artillery fire and, and whatnot. and you kind of think man the amount of concrete you're going to need that's going to concrete is bricks? massively greenhouse gas just about producing. one of the worst yeah for sure. and you know all the the trucks and trains and being fired and everything else like you say it's it so it sets the clock right back again sure and does. you don't don't need too many volcanoes erupting either really to mm. mess up your <laughs> 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 so someone could keep the volcanoes down that would help yes <laughs> anyway but that does set us up for night for next so, time, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, when we're going to have a little look at Mr. Putin and the idea of Third Rome. And his eschatology. So stay tuned and join Tread us carefully. for the next episode. Yes. <laughs> Take care, everyone. See you next time.